All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And thank you for every person who's here alive, those that are watching on live stream, uh, those that will watch later. Uh, Lord, be glorified. Be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, to catch us up in 1 Kings, as we know, King David at the beginning of this book was at the end of his life. Uh, he was so poor, uh, so poor in health that he had to have a maid servant basically to help him. Her name was Abishag, and she warmed him and cared for him. And then Nathan came and brought news to Bathsheba that one of his sons, who was not to be the king, had made himself king, had tried to make himself king. He created a parade for himself. He threw himself a, a party to like celebrate him becoming king. And he let David, she let David know that Nathan came and let David know, and it woke David up, even at the end of his life. And he went and he made it clear that Solomon was to be king. So guys, we don't put ourselves in positions. God puts us there. Amen. If we strive to get there in our own strength, if you strive to get there, you're going to have to strive to stay there. If you're doing it in your own strength, it will come to nothing. And so Solomon becomes the king. And we see that after becoming king, that Solomon, the first thing we see him do is he marries an Egyptian woman. Not supposed to do that. Uh, he's not supposed to gather wives. He's not supposed to marry uh, pagan women, but he does. But then we also see that Solomon, when he's given an opportunity to ask for anything from God, he asks for wisdom. It literally means a heart to hear and understand. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for uh, that his enemies would be defeated. Could have asked that he be made the greatest king ever. And he asked for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God said, you're going to be wealthy and you're going to have victory over your enemies. As we continue to move on the last couple of weeks, we saw that Solomon again was now the king. We talked about the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, we need to ask of the Lord where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then last week in chapter four, I tell the message, every man to his charge. That our God is a God of order and everything is to be done decently and in order. We saw the fruitful blessings of obedience, the real source of peace and prosperity, uh, to learn to trust in the Lord, not on our own strength. So now we come to chapter five. And before we get into the text, if you've got your outline, turn it over. And we're going to look at the back of that for a few minutes. And the reason that we are is that in the next three chapters, we're going to see the building of the temple. The building of the temple. Now the temple is replacing the tabernacle. And for 450 years, they've been in the land of promise and they still have just the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle made a lot of sense when they were wandering through the wilderness. Because when they were wandering through the wilderness after they had escaped out of, they been delivered out of Egypt... As they were wandering through the wilderness, they had to set it up and tear it down. Because what would happen? There was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And when it would move, they would move with it. And if you were here when we went through Numbers, they were encamped in the shape of what? Who remembers? A cross. So literally, when God looked down from heaven and he saw the children of Israel in the wilderness, they were in the shape of a cross when they camped by night. And the tabernacle was right in the middle. And they'd wake up every morning to look to see if the cloud moved. And if the cloud moved, they packed it all up. 
They tore the whole tabernacle down. The Levites all had different chores. They tore it all down. They covered it up and they moved it to the next place. And when the cloud stopped, they rebuilt it. So that makes sense for there to be a tabernacle because it needed to be portable. But as we saw back in 2 Samuel, after David had a great palace built for, him, for himself, he, his heart was broken because he said, you know, I live in a fine palace and God lives in a tent. And that's just not right. And so he wanted to build a temple. But the Lord came back and told him he was not going to be able to build the temple because he was a man of war. That it would be his son who would build the temple. Now the tabernacle, I love the tabernacle. I know if you've been coming any length of time, I've hinted around it. But I'm going to take a few minutes and talk about it and why it's so significant. Because everything in the tabernacle points to Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? That was really weak. Can I get an amen to that? There you go. That was better. So if you look at the outline I gave you on the left there, you can see that it has kind of linen walls around it. It's got linen and then it on, on there's, there's wooden posts and they're all connected together. If you were here when we were going through numbers, we were going through Leviticus, other places, we saw that even the cloth that it was made up of all pointed to Jesus. The colors of the cloth pointed to Jesus. The animal skins covered all of it pointing to Jesus. But as you walked in to the Whole, it walked into the tabernacle. You had the outer courtyard. And the outer courtyard was open to anyone. Anybody could come in to that spot where you see that bronze altar that's burning there. So people would come and they would make sacrifices to the Lord. They would bring it to the priest. And the priest would sacrifice the animal on their behalf. And it was an act of obedience to say, we know that we are sinners and we need to make a sacrifice for the covering of our sin. Now, what I love about the bronze altar is they would take the blood of the animal and often it was a lamb and they would lay the animal and they would tie it to the four posts and they would slit its throat and they would take the blood of the animal and put it on the four posts on the bronze altar. Now, bronze always speaks of judgment in the Bible. And so it was a place of righteous judgment. You had to take an animal that was uh, without blemish from your herd. So they'd have to take the best animal they had. They didn't take the weak little animal that wasn't going to do them any good. They had to take the best animal they had without blemish and bring it to the priest. And he would sacrifice the animal on the bronze altar and it would put the blood on the four horns. And again, when Jesus died on the cross, he bled from the same four places. The bronze altar, a man could lay down on it perfectly. And the bronze altar is clearly, clearly a picture of the cross. Amen. So now behind the bronze altar, behind the bronze altar, as you continue to walk through the courtyard, the next thing you came to was called the bronze laver. Some call it a basin. And this is the place where the priest would cleanse himself. Because before he could enter into the holy place, which we're going to talk about in a moment, that place that you see that's covered up behind him in the, in the back portion of the tabernacle area, he would have to cleanse himself because he could not come into the presence of God without being cleansed. And often what would happen is the priest would have just made sacrifices and he'd be covered in blood. And so he'd go to the laver and he would cleanse himself, washing the blood away of the sacrifice so he could be made clean and he could enter in to the holy place. 
And you know what's awesome, though, is that he would go there and he would see himself covered in blood and he would cleanse himself. It was made also out of bronze and it was like a mirror. It would reflect back to him and he would see his own, you know, the, the blood upon him that needed to be washed away. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. So he'd be cleansed in the bronze laver. And by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we've been redeemed, forgiven, as our sins have been atoned for, and we are now holy and cleansed before the Lord. Do you know that the Lord sees you as holy? Amen? He doesn't see you through your failures or my failures. He sees us through the shed blood of his son. He sees us as uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that. And he sees us as holy and righteous. And he sees us as his pure white bride. How much does a groom love his bride on the wedding day? Can I get an amen to that? And that's the way the Lord sees us. He doesn't see us as flawed. He sees us as forgiven. Amen. And he's cleansed us of all unrighteousness. And praise God for that. Now, if you kept walking toward the back of the courtyard, the next place you would come to is the holy place. Now, it was covered in animal skins. It was closed and only the priests could go in there. And the priests would go in and they would maintain the furniture inside the holy place. And as they would walk into the holy place, the first thing they would see on the left side there is the candlestick or the golden lampstand. And that lampstand was constantly to be lit. They were never to let that fire go out. And again, it lit up the entire room. It brought light into the darkness. Who does that? Jesus. Okay. It brings light into the darkness and the light never goes out. It's made out of gold that speaks of deity. And I love that Jesus is the light of the world and the golden lampstand lit up the holy place. Amen. And then to the right was the table of showbread. And they were constantly baking bread and putting those 12 loaves on the table of showbread, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It was an act of thanksgiving for God's provision through the wilderness. Amen. God provided for them. And it also points to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Amen. So he's the light of the world. He's the bread of life. He's the one that cleanses us from all of our sins. And he is the sacrifice, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And every piece of furniture in the tabernacle is all pointing to Jesus. Now, behind all of that, you would come to the altar of incense. Now, the altar of incense, if you look on the right-hand side, there's a veil. And the veil was very heavy and very thick. And nobody was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, except for on the Day of Atonement, which the Jews today call Yom Kippur. And only on that day could the high priest go into that presence. But on the, every day, not only did they keep the lamps lit, not only did they keep the table of showbread filled with bread, but they had to make sure that incense never burnt out. And the incense would flow up over that cloth and into the Holy of Holies. And again, it was a picture of constant 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week prayer. Now, tell, the Bible tells us, where is Jesus right now? Where is he? You see at the right hand of the Father, and what's he doing? He's interceding or praying for us. 
So here this altar of incense is burning and it's flowing over into the holy place, the holy of holies. And as it flows in, it's a picture of what Jesus is doing for us today, interceding on our behalf. Now, that heavy curtain, that veil, if you will, when the temple is built, we're going to start seeing the preparation for building the temple. Then we're going to see it built in the next couple of weeks. But when Jesus died on the cross, and when he said, when he was hanging on the cross, there was a great earthquake. And the earth split and dead people got up. If you haven't read this in the Bible, this is, you know, the walking dead did not make this up. There were dead people that got up and walked around. Can I get an Amen. But they were not zombies. They were, they were, they were born again. They were holy. Amen. But the, the ground opened up and dead people got up and walked into the city. And hey, your grandma knocked on your door. Hey, you're my funeral 45 years ago. I'm back. By the way, Jesus is alive. He's risen and he is God. Can I get an amen to that? So he triumphed over sin and death. But what was awesome was the veil. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And this was a veil that would take 15 priests to set it up because it was so heavy and so thick. And it was just torn from top to bottom because God tore it. Can I get an amen? He reached down from heaven. He tore it. And now we can enter into the Holy of Holies driving down the freeway. We can enter into his presence laying in bed at night. We can pray while we're in the shower. Wherever we go, we can enter into the presence of the Lord and we can speak directly to him because the veil has been torn. But before the veil was torn... In the tabernacle and then in the temple, only on the Holy of Holies. And he would, they would go in with the sacrifice to make it before the Lord. And they would, when they got into the Holy of Holies, there's a piece of furniture there. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. Again, we talked about this a lot. Maybe a review for most of us. The Ark of the Covenant. Again, this one's a box, not a boat. Can I get an amen? It's the Ark that, uh, you know, they've made movies about it. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And they were looking for the Ark of the Covenant. You know, people have been looking for that Ark ever since. They've been looking for it. Why? Because they believe that it's, it brings you closer to God. Here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross, we don't need the Ark anymore. Can I get an amen? But here's what would happen. They would come in and inside this, this golden box, there were three things. There was a jar of manna. Remembering that God had provided providing for them in the wilderness, but also points to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. There was Aaron's rod. He was the first great high priest. And Jesus, he was the first high priest, and Jesus is the great high priest. Amen? And then also was uh, the Ten Commandments. We're in, because Jesus is the Word. Amen? Now, on top of that, covering up the Word and covering up the manna and covering up the, the high priest staff was the mercy seat. And the reason the mercy seat had to be there is without God's mercy, we're doomed by the law. Can I get an amen? The mercy had to cover the law. A few times in the Bible, we see, you know, we see them, you know, touching the ark or, you know, something happens. And if you remove the mercy seat or touch it, you drop dead. Why? Because only through the sacrifice of the blood of the lamb can we know the mercy of God? Now on the mercy seat are two angels, cherubim. Their wings touch in the middle. I didn't have enough room. I'd have put that on there too. Their wings are touching in the middle. And, and I've, I've shared this many times before. But when Mary and later when Peter, you know, when, they, when, when Mary came in and they saw, saw the two angels, what did she see in the middle? Blood-stained cloth and angels at the foot and at the head. Amen. 
Guess what? That's exactly what would happen in the ark. On the day of atonement, the blood was sprinkled and there you had the blood in the middle and the angels on either side. And so the ark speaks not only of the mercy of God, not only did he fulfill the word of God because he is the word and the commandments of God and he is the great high priest and he is the bread of life, but also that he is the, the atonement for our sin and that he would one day raise from the dead because he triumphed over sin and death. Can I get an amen? Now, This is why the tabernacle was so important because this was the only place they were to sacrifice. Now we know in previous chapters, what have we seen? We saw that even Solomon made sacrifices in the high places where the pagans went. See, the pagans thought the higher you get, the closer you are to God. We got people that still think the higher you get, the closer you get to God, but that's not true. Amen. I saw a bunch of lights, man. It was the Lord. No, dude, that's LSD. That's not the Lord. Amen. But the reality is that they had fallen into the trap of worshiping God, God man's way. And God had created a tabernacle and this was all laid out because it it honored the Lord. And here they are 450 years in the land of promise and they still only have the tent. Now, David wanted to build the tabernacle, as we've talked about, and the Lord told him he could not. Nathan at first told him, go and do it. And then Nathan had to come back to him and say, God doesn't want you to do it because you've been a man of war, but there's going to be a man of peace coming. And it's going to be your son who builds the tabernacle, or actually the temple. The tabernacle was already there. So the veil was torn later. Again, we see Jesus in every part of it. Guys, if you ever go to Israel, out in the outskirts of Israel, they've got a tabernacle to the exact measurements, and you walk through it, and for the most part, there's nothing all that spectacular about it, but you know what? It's spectacular because in those days, that's where the God's God's glory dwelt. Now, you cannot house God in a temple or a tent. Can I get an amen to that? But God's presence, God's picture of where his presence was, the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of the fires that went through the wilderness rested upon the, the tabernacle. Now, one, a couple more things and we'll get into the text. Now that tabernacle was a foreshadowing of the temple and it went from a temporary place to a permanent place. And as I study scripture, I love correlations in the Bible and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Do you know that people had the Holy Spirit in the, in the Old Testament, but it was almost always temporary. They would pour out the, the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them for a season or for a time or for a specific uh, task at hand. If you recall the day, what did David cry out when he sinned against God? Take not thy what? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now the good news is We no longer live, you know, it it was the tabernacle age. And now we're still in the temple age, but the difference now, we're the temple. You know what the Bible tells us? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just come for a moment. As soon as you give your life to Jesus Christ and you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to being in you. Amen. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And, it, and, there, and he will never walk away from you. You can't get rid of him. He's, we will always walk with you. So now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. While the tabernacle is temporary, the temple was permanent. And so too, while giving of the Holy Spirit in the old covenant could be temporary, now in the new covenant, it's permanent. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? So it all points to the Lord. And as we get to the temple, we're going to see 
a much nicer version of the tabernacle. Where the tabernacle is a tent, we're going to see the temple built uh, larger. We're going to see uh, the temple built uh, sparing no expense because they're doing it for the Lord. And again, I love the pictures of Jesus throughout the temple and throughout the tabernacle. The vision of the temple came not from Solomon, but from David. David had already picked out the place where the temple would be built. He had started to put together the blueprints, if you will, of how it would be built. He had started gathering some of the things needed for the tabernacle. And Solomon's going to finish gathering them and Solomon gets to build it. But David has done a lot in preparation for the temple. Even though he knew he would not build it, he knew it would be built. So guys, even when we, we know that maybe we won't see God do a certain thing, we need to trust that God may do it if he takes us to heaven after we're gone. Amen? We want to live our lives to impact today, but we also want to have those arrows. You know, blessed man whose quiver is full. The thing that goes into the next, what we send to the next generation is our children and those that we minister to. Amen? My prayer is that my kids will do more for the kingdom of God than I've ever done. My, my prayer is that they'll be used more mightily than I've ever been. And I know that was my dad's prayer. And that should always be our prayer. Amen? I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. David was grieved because the Lord lived in a tent. And he knew that it didn't house the Lord, but just a representation. How can I live in a beautiful house and the Lord live in a tent? It was back in 2 Samuel 7. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. And the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies all around the king. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And again, David was a man of war. So even though he secured everything, even though he had a heart to build it, it would not be his privilege of doing so. To talk about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's in 1 Corinthians 3.16. You can look that up later. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You should memorize that verse. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says anyone who defiles the temple of the Holy Spirit will be destroyed. Just think about the life that you live. Look, we're sinners saved by grace. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. But we should desire to live holy and set apart lives and be mindful every day that wherever we go, we take the Holy Spirit with us. Amen? Amen. And when we go outside of his will, when we entertain things that we shouldn't, when we look at things that we shouldn't, when we do things that we shouldn't, we praise God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not only is it a temple that we live in, but also speaks of the body of Christ. In Ephesians 2, it says this, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into the holy temple in the Lord, in whom you, all, in whom you also are being built together for the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You know, we are individually the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the church, it says in that verse, is the temple of God. So the temple is not the building where we meet, it's the people in the building where we meet. Or when we're outside, can I get an amen? Wherever we are, that's the body of Christ. And the church is the people, not the building, amen? We don't go to church, we are the church. 
And so we see all these exhortations, and I love this picture. So grab your out, turn it over, let's go over your outline. It's a short chapter tonight, only 18 verses. And I tell the message, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. King David had said that when he was offered a threshing floor that was to be used for the Lord. And he said, I, he said, just take it for free. And he said, no, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. How much did Jesus give so that you could have eternal life? He gave everything. He suffered and died in our place. He endured torment and torture. Uh, he was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. And he endured all of it because he loves you. And now we're his children. And we need to have the same heart. Let this mind also be in you. It was in Christ Jesus. Amen. We need to learn to die to ourselves and be willing to lay down our lives for the Lord. Look, I know that we could never imagine that happening in the United States, but we're a little closer to it than we were. Having church right now is condemned. But we need to obey God rather than man. Amen? And praise the Lord for that. So first point, faithfulness of the Father, blessing the Son. David's relationship with a man in tonight's chapter by the name of Hiram, who's a king of Tyre, is going to end up being a blessing to his son. And I love this picture I have people that I've met in my life that have been a big blessing to me. And then when I meet their children, especially if their father's passed away, don't you want to do everything you can to help them? You just want to help them. And King David was always that way. Remember David, when he found, he, 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 where are Jonathan's descendants, right? Remember? And took his son and put him, in, put him at his table. And he did the same for the, for the man who helped him, helped feed him when he was on the run. Let, let me bless his entire family. And, you know, there's an amazing thing that David's, faithfulness is going to be a blessing to Solomon in tonight's chapter in a really big way. Your faithfulness to the Lord will bless future generations, just as David blessed the sons, again, of Jonathan and descendants of those who blessed him. Solomon was blessed by those that loved David. Number two, doing everything you do for the Lord with excellence. You hear me talk about this a lot. Anything we do for the Lord, we should do to the best of our ability. Amen? And it's a get to, not a have to. We get to serve Jesus. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. Well, it was actually my son-in-law. I was talking to my son-in-law a couple days ago. And we'll be talking, and every once in a while I'll go, can you believe that we get to do what we do? Are you blown away that we get to open up the Bible and teach it? We are so unworthy. He's like, yeah, we're so unworthy. But we get to open up the living, breathing word of God and teach the word of God to God's people. What an honor. What a blessing. And you know what? If you're going to do that, you better be prepared. Amen? And you better study knowing that God's going to judge it one day. And we need to do everything we do. If we're mopping the floors, let's mop them for Jesus and mop them cleaner than anybody's ever mopped the floor in their life. Can I get an Amen. If we come early to set up chairs, if we want to bless people by bringing food so they'll hang out, whatever it is that God's serving in the children's ministry, we shouldn't remember it five minutes before. Am I on today? We should be praying for those kids, amen? For leading people in worship. Let's do it with excellence. Again, we don't want it to be gaudy or ostentatious, but it needs to be done well because we're doing it for Jesus, amen? He hung on a cross for us. We can get to church on time for him. Can I get an amen to that? 
few of you won't know. You, uh, uh. Thirdly, ministering to others as we serve the Lord. You know, as we're serving the Lord, we, part of serving the Lord is ministering to others. Amen? And we're going to see that in tonight's text. That as we are faithful to God, here's the reality. Your walk with the Lord either draws people to the Lord or pushes people away from him. If we're living in a way that honors the Lord, it doesn't mean that we just sit back and we let people, you know, again, we need to make a stand for the Lord. We need to do everything in love. And as we do it in love, as we honor the Lord, as we live for the Lord, as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it should draw people to the Lord, not because of who we are, but because of who's in us. Amen. When you see somebody that's on fire for the Lord, doesn't it encourage your faith? When you see somebody that's sold out for Jesus and living out loud for the Lord and living sacrificially for the kingdom of God, doesn't it convict you? We're going to see in tonight's text, ministering to others as we serve the Lord. And we'll see that wisdom brings peace, not division. We're going to see the wisdom of Solomon is going to bring peace, not division. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And the only thing, the thing that just kept resonating in my mind is, are we using wisdom when we're talking to people on social media? Are we trying to win an argument or do we want to draw them to the Lord? Which is it? Because we can win the argument and push them further away. But wisdom doesn't bring division. It brings peace. And then we're going to see giving ministry away. We're going to see that Solomon in his wisdom is going to give ministry away. One of the problems you have with Christians and with people in ministry often is we're afraid. Sometimes people are afraid to let, let go and let other people serve God. Somehow I have to be in control. Or you, no, no. It, first of all, it all belongs to the Lord. It never was yours. And you need to let other people serve God and encourage them to use their gifts and give away the ministry. Amen. And Solomon's going to do that tonight. Here he is with his wisdom. And in his wisdom... He's going to recognize, I can't do this by myself. And if I try, it won't be as fruitful as if when I let other people get involved. Amen? You know, if I'm up here leading worship, first of all, no one would come back next week. But if I led worship and you had earplugs loud enough, you know, if I tried to do it all, it, this church would fall apart. And it's the same for all of us. If we only used our gifts and other people didn't use theirs, the church would not survive. Finally, faithfully serving when no one is watching. You know, character is who you are when no one's, when only the Lord is watching. Amen? Because the Lord's always watching. And we're going to see as they begin to gather the materials to build the temple, one of the things they're going to do is use some of the most costly and expensive rocks for the foundation that nobody will ever see. They're going to polish them. And hewn them and use the most expensive stuff to be the foundation of the temple that will be covered in dirt. But, there, but even the stuff covered in dirt that's for the Lord should be the best we've got. Can I get an amen? And that's the example we see here is that even when it's something nobody else sees, everything we do, we ought to do to our best ability and we ought to be willing to lay down our lives and give the best that we have, even if nobody else sees it, because the Lord is really the only one that matters. Amen? Build a house on a sure foundation. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. 
Foolish man built his house upon the sand. And what happened when the rain came down? Washed his house away. And you know, and you know, I mean, you didn't think you could learn something spiritual from the three little pigs, did you? But what you build your house out of is significant. Can I get an amen? Is it built on Christ or is it built on the things of the world? It may look good from the outside, but if the Lord's not the foundation, when the rains come, it's going to fall apart. So let's begin there looking at, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. First, the faithfulness of the father is a blessing to the son. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that he had anointed him king in the place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Now this is amazing because Hiram is the king of Tyre. Now Tyre is modern day Lebanon, Lebanon. And Lebanon is just north of Israel. And he, his kingdom was pagan. They worshiped idols. And in the midst of all of that, as David was ruling and reigning, first of all, I want you to notice that while David defeated all the enemies of Israel, he didn't just wipe out everybody. He would seek the Lord if somebody was an enemy of Israel. If God said, I want you to wipe out the Moabites, he did it. I want you to wipe out the Amalekites, he did it. I want you to wipe out the Philistines. Now, Tyre and Tyre and Sidon are just north of Israel. And what happens is David and this pagan king become good friends. And it says at the end of that verse that he loved David. Now, David didn't compromise in his belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I do think that even the people who haven't gotten saved yet, I would hope that they would know that we love them and I hope that they would love us back. Can I get an amen to that? I have coworkers that are so far from God. Their lives are just, oh Lord, help them. But you know what? I can honestly say to them, do you guys, do you believe I love you? And they'll say, yeah. And I say, well, I do love you and I pray for you. And they'll, and they'll say back to me, I love you. And you know, I've got a guy in my office, a homosexual guy. And I love him and he loves me and I love him. He knows I disagree with his lifestyle. He knows I'm praying for him. And we have, I have other people that I work with. And my heart is, I pray that, and I'm not always perfect at this. We all need to do better, amen? But my prayer is that they would know that I love them because Christ loves them. Amen? When did Christ start loving you? Before the foundation of the world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't love you once you got saved. He didn't start loving you once you were perfect, because that's not hasn't happened, and it won't until you get to heaven. Amen. Why would he have sinners? Christ died for us. So while others are yet sinners like us, shouldn't we love them the way that Jesus does? Now, even if he doesn't condone the way they live, he still loves them, and we should love them too. Amen? Now, by the way, that should be magnified within the church. The amount of love we have for the world, it should be intensified in the church. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? I know some of you still getting used to it. I tell all of you I love you every time I see you, and I will continue to do that, and I will continue to hug you, even if COVID is a factor. Can I get an amen? Because I love you guys, because this is a family reunion. We get together. Amen? This is how the body of Christ should function. We shouldn't come walking in and sit down the back row and bring it in the sheet and run out of here as soon as it's over. Amen. We come to rejoice and to join together and celebrate the God that we serve and to worship him. He's the guest of honor. And so Hiram, this pagan king, 
Now, there's debate that Hiram might have got saved. We'll see why in a few verses. We don't know. We have no way of knowing. I hope he's in heaven because I'm going to look out for him. Can I get an amen? We should go on a Hiram hunt when we get to heaven. Amen? Hiram, is he here? Is he here? I'm just curious. Is he here? I hope he is. We're going to see some terminology he uses that David may well have rubbed off on him and he may have gotten saved. So he's a king of a land just north of Israel that would typically be a great enemy, that would typically be going to war with Israel. And instead he loved David. David loved him. And they had become friends before David died. And the fact that he loved David as much as he did, he automatically had a love for Solomon, whom he had never met. He sends people to talk to Solomon because he finds out that Solomon has become the king. And, he, and, not, and not like others who t- tried to take advantage of Solomon, like Joab and others who tried to take advantage of Solomon. He comes to minister to Solomon simply because he's David's son. My dad was a pastor for 60 years. I still have people find me on Facebook or look me up. And when they find out that I'm Johnny Johnson's son, they give me a hug and tell me how much my dad meant to them. And then they will tell me they love me because they love my dad. That's a powerful thing. Can I get an amen? And I just love this picture of this pagan. Again, David, love is not agreeing with their behavior. Can I get an amen to that? Love is not saying that it's okay, but we can love people even though they've rejected God at the moment because Saul of Tarsus was killing Christians and praise God, somebody was praying for that brother. Can I get amen? And he got saved. And that should be our heart. That's the way we should love one another. David was willing to be at peace with those that would be at peace with Israel and this pagan king. By the way, he helped build David's uh, palace. Hiram did, and we'll see why. So point number one, faithfulness of the father is a blessing to the son. Your faithfulness to the Lord will bless future generations. Praise God for that. Number two, doing everything you do for the Lord with excellence. Then Hiram sent, then Solomon sent to Hiram. So he had sent some of his servants to greet Solomon. And to let Solomon know that Hiram wanted to greet him and that Hiram loved his father and that he wanted to know how he could minister to him. Now, Solomon writes a letter back to Hiram. Now, I love this as I was studying. How many of you guys ever heard of Josephus? Okay, Josephus is not a Christian, but he was a historical writer in the first century. And Josephus said in his writings that they still had a copy of this letter that was written 950 years earlier. So this letter is, you know, proven to be, you know, it was in, to the time of Jesus. It was around after Jesus died on the cross. They still had a copy of this letter. I don't know if there's still one today, but I know there was one then. And it says this, here's the communication that comes from Solomon to Hiram, the dear friend of his father. And he's going to ask him for a favor. Look what happens. He says, then Solomon sent to Hiram saying, you know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars, which he fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. Now, what's amazing to me here is even David's pagan friend knew David's heart and desire to build a proper house for the Lord. 
So David would talk to his pagan friend about what, what was on his heart to do for God. And I think this is an example for all of us. It's good to let other people know what the Lord's doing in our life, even if they're not saved. Can I get an amen to that? One of my favorite Bible teachers is a Calvary Chapel pastor. His name's John Corson. And he said, here's what he would do all the time. He'd be at the gas station pumping gas. The guy would be next to him. He goes, hey, can you do me a favor? He's like, what? I'm getting ready to go uh, teach at a men's retreat. You want to pray for me? Can you pray for me? Never met the guy in his life. I'm going to, and he, you know, why don't you come on over here? You can pray for me. Can you pray for me right now? And you know, huh? But you know, I love, I love that heart and that attitude that, you know, Hey, he would let him know what God's doing in his life. He would talk to people what God's doing in his life. We don't need to just share it with Christians. We can share it with the world. Amen. And David had told Hiram and Solomon knew that Hiram knew that David had wanted to build the temple for his, for, for the Lord. And he knew it. And so he says, well, you knew what happened. It, he couldn't do it because he was a man of war. And so he had enough of a relationship with Hiram that he had shared how God was moving on his heart. We should tell others about the Lord. And it's good to let them know what God's doing in your life, even if they don't know God. How else are they going to know? Amen? We should be unashamed of the gospel. We should be willing to share our testimony, even with those who don't know the Lord, because they certainly need to hear it. It says now in verse 4, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. So the temporary tents had been there. David had wanted to replace them. David was not allowed to. He was told because he was a man of war. But a man of peace would come. It would be his son Solomon. And now it has become a time of peace. David has won all the battles and Solomon, up to this point, has not had to battle anybody. He had to put to death some of, the, of his own people or making threats against him as king. And he didn't do it himself. At this point, I don't believe Solomon's picked up a sword. David was a mighty warrior. And Solomon is a prince, was the prince of peace in a sense. And so now that permanent place of worship that his father couldn't build, he is going to build instead. And again, I love that this will be a place of permanence for the Lord. Guys, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We must not keep it to ourselves. And it's, he, he has taken a permanent residence in us. And here we see that Solomon wants to do the same. Because he knows it was the heart of his father. And it was his desire to build a temple. Again, I'll read it to you out of 2 Samuel. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in the house, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. That king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in tents. Initially, he tells him to go for it. But, but later, he had to pass it on to Solomon when he was told he couldn't do it. In First Chronicles, we'll see this. It says, And David said to Solomon, My son is for me. It was in my mind to build a house in the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. So David was a warrior. He was responsible for killing a lot of people and he was doing it under the command of the Lord. God wanted a temple to have a foundation of peace, 
not of bloodshed. It says in verse 9, as he continues on, David talking to Solomon, he says, Behold, about Solomon, Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a great man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in those days. His name is Solomon. It's a, it's a, a derivative of shalom. What does shalom mean? Peace. So he's going to be a, a king of peace. And his name means peace. Solomon. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. David wanted to build the temple. God said no. And then Solomon built the temple. Sometimes we want to do things and it's not God's time for it to be done. Amen. We want God's will and God's perfect timing. Uh, my dad pastored a Calvary Chapel in Santa Cruz when I was in high school. We had first moved there in the, in the 70s. We left Calvary Costa Mesa. My dad got promoted to CEO of his company. We moved to Northern California. He built a house for my, my mom in Santa Cruz. And we could not find a church in Santa Cruz that was teaching the Bible. And by the way, it's still tragic. It's still happening. Amen? We need to pray that that changes. I got a call uh, yesterday morning from a woman who's been watching us online and has gone through a whole bunch of messages in the Old Testament on our website. I've never met her. She had sent me an email a while back with a prayer request. And she called me this morning and she said, you always, or yesterday, she said, you always say it's okay to call you. So I hope it's okay to call you. And I said, well, yeah. I said, no caller ID. I answered it. And she said, I, I need prayer. And she gave me a prayer request and I prayed for her. And she said, I need help finding a church. I cannot find a church where I live that teaches the Bible, not one. And I said, where do you live? She said, she lives in Eva Beach, Hawaii. My brother lives in Eva Beach, Hawaii. And my brother's been looking for a church that teaches the Bible. And it's pretty tragic that I'm still looking to try to find a church teaching the Bible. Guys, this happens. And it's tragic because we've lost sight. So in Santa Cruz, we planted a church there. And my, that's where my, my wife got saved. And then, uh, you know, I went to church there through high school. Then we got married. We moved away. My dad turned the church over to, to his assistant. It was fairly large. They moved that church to another city. It shrunk down to a handful of people. And there was no church in Santa Cruz for 15 years. When I was in Calvary, San Jose, and the Lord moved on our hearts to go to Santa Cruz to plant a church, I remember sitting at the kitchen table with my father and the guy who would be our worship leader. And my dad with tears running down his face said, son, I believe the Lord is sending the son to finish what the father didn't. And that's the same thing that's happening here. Amen. David wanted to build a temple. God didn't allow him and he's going to let his son do it. Guys, we want to be in the center of God's will. And sometimes when we want to do things, it's not, God may want our kids to do it. God may want someone else to do it. Amen. But we need to be faithful where we are. And I love that picture that David was told, yeah, you're not going to get to do it, but don't worry, your son's going to do it. Boy, I love that. Wouldn't you love if someone came to you and you had a real desire to do something for the Lord in a mighty way? And the Lord said, you're not going to get to do it, but don't worry, your kids are going to do it. I'd be doing backflips. How about you? I think David was very blessed to know. The lesson of this passage is not about building the temple in the time of rest because uh, 
It was a time of rest for David when he wanted to build a temple. The lesson is about God's plan and following God's timing, not our own. It says in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And though I like the idea behind the thought that we can do anything with God's help, the truth is there are going to be some things that are just not in God's plan for us. Sometimes God says no. Amen? And we need to be in that position where, Lord, I want whatever you want. And Lord, if you don't want me to do what I desire to do, then show me your desire. Not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? And too often we're disappointed because it's our plan and not his. You know, some things are just plain wrong like sin, but some things are good things like building the temple. But sometimes God wants someone else to do it. And Solomon, this is the time to build the house. Verse 5. Then it says there, And behold... I purpose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Now, I love that he says, for the name of the Lord my God. He doesn't say for the Lord my God, but for the name of the Lord my God. Now, you need to understand, with the Jewish people, they, they were very cautious about ever directly speaking of God. Do you know that the, when they would transcribe scripture, that when they got to God's name, they would write one letter and then would go through a ritual cleansing. And then they would come back and they would, in, in those days, they would skip the vowels. That's why we, we don't know for sure that it's Yahweh. They would write Y-H-W-H, right? Yahweh. Why? Because they did not want to spell out God's name. Have you ever seen anybody that, that maybe even on a post or something, they'll write God, they'll put G-D. You ever seen that before? And a lot of times it's a reverence for God. They don't want to write out his name. They don't think they're worthy to write out his name. They're not. So in a sense, it's almost kind of what we're hearing from Solomon is I want to build a house for the name of the Lord. I want to do it for the name of the Lord. And he's also, I think, making it clear that he doesn't believe God's going to, that's where God's going to live and God's going to be bound by this. Oh, if we're going to see God, we got to go down to the temple because that's his house. Well, we know God's everywhere. Can I get an Amen. But it's a house to go and worship the Lord, and it's for the honor of the Lord, and it's in the name of the Lord, and it's to glorify the Lord. So he says, I want to build a house in the name of the Lord, as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, your son, whom I will set on your throne, in your place, he will build the house for my name. I love that David told his son the promises God had for him. And we need to let the generation behind us know that God has a plan for their lives. Amen. We need to encourage them and let them know God's not done with you. God's got great plans for you. God wants to use you. God's not finished with you. Amen. And God wants to do great things in you. And Solomon had heard that from his father and it was something that he had held on to. And now he's ready to do it. Verse six. Now, therefore, now I love this. Now watch when he asks. He's going to ask big. Look what he says. Now, therefore, command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to do whatever you say. For you know that there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. Here's what he asked for. I need the best materials and the best craftsmen. I want you to give me the best you've got because this is for God. We're not going to give God the rest. We're going to give God the best. Can I get an amen? 
We used to see this a lot with missionaries. We'd have missionaries come and people would say, oh, I've got this old master so I was going to throw in the garbage, but they can have it. Hey, mighty generous of you, giving them the best. You know what you really ought to do? Why don't you give them the new mattress and you keep sleeping on the old one for a while? Can I get an amen to that? You know, if we're doing it for the Lord, often we, we, we think we're being charitable. You know, if we'd have stuff, can we'd have one shoe. <laughs> like, really? Is this the garbage dump for the missionary? I mean, you know, and so we, half the time we take everything that was given, take it to the goodwill and just go out and buy them stuff. Guys, when we're doing something for the Lord, let's give them the best that we have. Amen. Not what's left over. Not, not the end. By the way, if you wait till the, you know why we need to greet the Lord in the morning? Because at night we're too tired sometimes. Anybody besides me ever fallen asleep reading your Bible? Come on. If you, if your hand's not up, you don't read it. You've never read it at night because it happens. You're reading and then you wake up in the morning with drool on your Bible. And it happens. That's why we meet him in the morning. Can I get an amen to that? Start your day, begin your day. It's good to read your Bible at night too, but it's good to, right when you wake up, right? I, I Preferably for me, after the shower, I'm awake. Can I get an amen? God deserves my full attention, my full focus. And he says, look, all I want, Hiram, I know you're a friend of my dad's and you know that my dad was supposed to build it and you know that God said I would build it instead. And here's what I need from you. I need the best lumber you got. Not the rest, the best. And by the way, we all know that your people are better at, at doing that than any of our people. So I'll send our people to help, but we need to have your people be in charge. So I need your best lumber and your best craftsmen. That's what I need from you. Do everything you do for the Lord with excellence. Continuing to work, continuing the work of those who faithfully served before you, giving your best, not the rest. Our pastor in San Jose used to say this. I've never forgotten it. He says, we need to give people the best portion on Sunday. And what he meant by that is when we do church on Sunday, we do it to our very best ability. Amen? He used to say this, we don't do tryouts on Sunday morning. We can try them out in the men's study. You know, nobody will die. Sometimes maybe on a Wednesday night, but on Sunday morning, the church was, you know, 3,000 people. He said, some of these people have never been to church in their life. We're not doing tryouts. We want to do the best. We want to give them the best we have on that day. And guys, when we come to the Lord, we want to give the Lord the best that we have. Amen? Honor God. And that was David's heart. I mean, Solomon's heart that he'd received from his father. Solomon wanted to use the best materials possible to build the temple. The finest wood, the finest craftsmen, sparing no expense. And again, we're to give, our, give God the best, not, our, not the rest. Notice though, it's funny, he's using Gentile wood. He's using Gentile wood and Gentile craftsmen to build the temple. I think that's a sign of things to come because you know what? It's not neither, it's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free or barbarian or Scythian. We're all one in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Now, what's crazy, that church in San Jose, where I was a youth pastor, before that, it was an Assembly of God church that got, uh, was $11 million in debt, about to lose the building. They called Pastor Chuck. He sent a pastor up. There was 80 people swinging from the chandeliers. He took over the church, started teaching the Bible. The church grew. God blessed it. They paid the thing off. But what was crazy, one of the reasons they were so far in debt, they had all the stones for the building shipped in from Jerusalem because they said they were going to build the new Jerusalem. There's a word for that. It's called nonsense. Can I get an amen? They're, they use Gentile wood in the temple, and you want to use Jewish rocks? 
There's a core right down the street, bro. I don't think you need to be wasting God's money like that. They literally spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for Jewish rocks. Wow. Never forgotten it. I'd, I'd lean against the wall and, dude, that's an expensive wall. Be careful. <laughs> we didn't pay for it. Praise the Lord. But notice again, I love that do everything for the Lord with excellence, with the best that you have. Number three, ministering to others as we serve the Lord. So watch what happens. So when Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over, the, over this great people. That, now that makes me think maybe this brother got saved. Amen? Here's what he says. Blessed be Yahweh this day. Blessed be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob this day. And notice what he says there at the end of it. He's given David a wise son over this great people. He's praising God and he's lifting up God's people. I'm hoping I see Hiram in heaven. Amen. Now, sometimes people will do that and, well, that's good for you, bro. I'm glad you love Jesus. I'm glad that's good for you, man. I'm glad you love the Lord. Praise God. All right. That's cool, man. Happy for you. And they don't mean it. But it seems that Hiram's been impacted by David, and now he's showing love for Solomon. And I love how their hearts have been knit together, and they haven't even met each other yet. Now, what does he say? He says, then Hiram sent to Solomon, I have considered the message which you have sent to me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and the cypress logs. My servants will bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me. We will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. Hiram's not going to do it for free, but he's doing it for a very reasonable sum. Basically what he says is, look, we grow great trees and if you've been to Israel, there's no better agriculture on this planet than Israel. I remember being on the tour the first time I went. They took us on high at the top of this mountain. He goes, see all that green stuff? Israel. See the dirt right next to it? Oh, that's Lebanon. That's Jordan. <laughs> dirt, Jordan, fruitful, Israel. Do you know Israel is the size of New Jersey? And it can grow every fruit and every vegetable known to man, both the stuff that grows in the cold and stuff that grows in the warm, because God's hand is on Israel. Can I get an amen? So this man from Lebanon, living in the dirt, says, hey, I'll send you the best trees we got. Can you send us some food? Because you guys grow some good grub down in Israel. Amen. And so he says, can you send us, just send me some food and we'll call it good. I love that he's going to float this stuff down the, I don't know why I thought of Tom Sawyer, but he's floating a raft. <laughs> he's going to float a raft down the sea. That's, guys, this is genius. There were no trucks back then. How do you send big, huge logs? How in the world are you going to bring, bring huge logs hundreds of miles through the desert and through hills? I mean, you know, donkeys can't handle that. I don't know if you drag them behind a chariot. How do you do it? This is wisdom. Put it on a raft, man. We're going to put it on a raft. We'll bring it all the way down there. We'll break it in pieces and we'll unload it. And you guys, and by the way, just send it back some food and we'll be good. This relationship with David had impacted how, how Hiram related to the living God. When he thought of the living God, he thought of David and David's love for his God. And then it made him 
respond in a way that he only could have understood if he heard David talking like this. Amen? How would a pagan king know to say, blessed be the Lord? When you hear somebody say, I'm blessed today, don't you automatically think they're a Christian? When I'm on the phone with, our company's huge, and I'll be talking to someone in Nashville or Dallas. We got support all over the country. And I'll, I'll call one and start talking. They'll say, yeah, I'm blessed. Oh, oh. Where do you fellowship, bro? Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to this church down. Man, I'm a born-again Christian. Man, I pastor a church. I praise the Lord. We start talking. Hey, we got Jesus in common, man. Hey, we, well, we, why did I call you? We're talking about the Lord. And when you hear I'm blessed, when you hear people say, you know, certain things that are, you know, Christianese, you know, almost immediately that this person must be saved. People don't talk like that. And pagans don't say, blessed be the Lord this day. But he did because he'd been hanging out with David. Are your relationships with unsaved coworkers, neighbors, and friends drawing people to the Lord or pushing them away? I'd rather be wronged. I'd rather be mistreated then blow my testimony and cause people to run from the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? Lord, help us. Let's finish up. Then he says there, he's considered it, tells him what he'll do. It says, then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of pressed oil that Solomon gave Hiram year by year. He didn't just feed his whole family one year. He's going to feed him every year forever because he blessed him. And then he says, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and the two of them made a treaty together. I love this, that wisdom brings peace, not division. Do you see that? It says that he gave him wisdom and there was peace between him and Hiram all the way until that day. Wisdom is not knowing a lot of facts. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. Amen? I know people are very intelligent, very abrasive, and not very wise. Amen? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear God, you can have no wisdom. Notice wisdom produces, again, peace, not division. And we want to win people. Now, let me just say this. 20,000 cores of wheat, that's 120,000 bushels of wheat. That's some wheat, bro. I'm not even sure how much a bushel is. But it's 120,000 bushels of wheat. The, the 20 cores of pressed oil is 120,000 gallons of oil. You could run your car on that for a while. <laughs> so he's delivering all of this. So look, notice... They're negotiating. They're, he's feeding his family and he's helping him build a temple for the Lord. And there's peace among them. There's no threat of war. The word peace there again is shalom. Point number four, giving ministry away. Now watch what happens. This is a big task. They're going to build. The, some have referred to the temple of Solomon as the greatest building ever built. It's pretty amazing what he builds. So the Lord gave Solomon, in verse, now verse 13, the King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel. The labor force were 30,000 men. Now, the reason that's significant, 30,000 people of the children of Israel are going to be involved in helping to build the temple. 30,000. That would not have been possible if they were at war. They had to be in a time of peace and a time where they didn't feel like they were threatened that they were going to be attacked. And they had to be at peace to faithfully serve the Lord the way they need to. And guys, we need to be in a place where we're at peace with God so we can serve him with all that we have. Amen? 
Now notice what else he says here. Here's some wisdom coming. He sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. So he rises up, one of his mighty men, who oversees the labor force, and notice the wisdom. 10,000 guys go for a month, and then they come back, and 10,000 more come, and they come back. So there's two months at home and one month working on the temple and working in Lebanon and gathering the lumber and doing everything that needed to be done. So 30,000 people are working, but he doesn't have them working nonstop. He makes sure that they have time at home. Do you know, this is actually what we used years ago in Santa Cruz that I would tell people, I don't want you in the children's ministry every week. You need to make sure that you have time to be in, the, in, in worship. Can I get an amen to that? You don't want people serving every week and they never get to be in fellowship. And this is a pattern that we saw from Psalm. Look, go and serve, but you need time to also serve your family. You need time to be home to care for them. Then it says here, and he, and he did put someone in charge of them. He's not in charge of the labor force. He had to give that away. That's too much for Solomon to do. You be the guy in charge of it. Solomon had, now notice this. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Uh, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who super, supervised the people who labored in the work. Now, these people, looking at Second Chronicles and other places, were actually people who were indentured to Israel. They had been conquered. They were being taxed by Israel. And, and these were basically enslaved. And so here he is using not only his own people to build the temple, but those who are indentured are helping build the temple as well as a form of their tax, a form of their service. So when you add it all up there, it's 180,000 people working on this building. Dude. And we've seen some big houses go up. We see stadiums go up. 180,000 people working faithfully. And then, and then he had 3,300 deputies who oversaw the work. Again, he's giving ministry away. He's letting other people use their gifts so that the work can be done well. And we need to learn to be in that position where we don't hold on to everything ourselves because we're limited in what we can do. Solomon is wisdom, delegated authority. And to truly be fruitful, we must learn to give ministry away. Last point. Faithfully serving when no one is watching. Look how it ends. Verse 17 and 18. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, Gerbalites quarried them. The Gerbalites quarried them and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. What I want you to notice here is they used costly stones and large stones and hewn stones. If you ever go to Israel... Is it Hezekiah's temple, Mr. Chambers? Hezekiah's t uh, tunnel, the rabbi's tunnel, is that what it's called? Yeah. I think that's what it's called. If you ever go to Israel, you have to go there. When you walk through Hezekiah's tunnel, it's called the rabbi's tunnel, you get, and there you can see the foundation, not from Solomon's temple, but the one, the second temple that was built. And following Solomon's way, the temple's not there anymore. It's on the Temple Mount. But you can see the foundation that the temple was built on. And when you see the beautiful rocks that are down there, hewn rocks, all the work was done so that when they came to the temple, they never used an, uh, any kind of a tool. It was made perfectly. So when they hauled it, they just dropped it in place. And we know there was a chief cornerstone, and that's Jesus. Amen. 
and everything else is built upon him. But when you walk, you're underground and you're walking through this tunnel, tunnel and you see all these massive, I mean, they're huge. One rock literally is like from there to, to there, one rock and it's in one piece and it's hewn perfectly and they all fit together. And it was done thousands of years ago. And what it tells me is that even the stuff that nobody saw, they did it the best that they possibly could. Well, no one's going to see that. As my brother used to say, he was, you don't want him doing your work because he'd say, can't see it from my house. <laughs> it's a little off. Can't see it from my house. Let's keep going. Oh, great. I want, I want, to do, I want you working on my house, bro. I love that they did everything with excellence to the best of their ability, even when no one else is watching and even if nobody else would see it. The temple is where God dwells. It's not where God dwells, but it's where we connect with God. We are God's temple. Amen. And as the best was used to build his temple, we too should use the best that we have to be built up in the Lord. And he, he does the best work in us when we surrender our lives fully to him. Amen. When we can just get out of the way and let God do a great and awesome work. And I love, again, it says in Matthew 7, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rain descends and the floods come and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. Obedience, these are the stones that are made out of the kinds of things that we build our lives from. And I love that picture. And I want to encourage all of us, if you're building your house on money, it's going to crumble. If you build your house on good works, you build your house on anything else other than Jesus Christ, the rains are coming. It's a matter of time. And you will only be able to make it through the storm if Jesus is in the boat with you. Can I get an amen to that? So in closing... I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. The faithfulness of the Father blesses the Son. Doing everything you do for the Lord, do it with excellence. Ministering to others as we serve the Lord. So as we're serving the Lord, we should minister to others. Giving ministry away. And finally, faithfully serving when no one is watching. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everyone who's here tonight. Oh, Lord, help us to walk in the center of your will. To be walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. To do everything we do to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we pray for less of us and more of you. Lord, may we serve you with the best that we have, with all that we have. And then, Lord, as we serve you, I pray that we would minister to others. We draw others to you. Lord, that we would seek first your kingdom and your glory and your praise. In all that we say and do, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...